0: Well good evening everyone. So great to see you here. I'm so excited. This is week, uh, what was it week three now that we're together? Or some of you are finally migrating over to the to the other side there. That's so good. That's so good. I'm so glad for that uh, there. If you're joining us online, we are so glad that you're joining us online tonight for our study as we um, are continuing Um, in our study of eschatology and then uh, the book of Revelation there. So we are going to, uh, hopefully, Lord willing, finish up tonight um, on these signs that we're looking, the signs of the times, and we will uh, try to move forward. So we're going to jump right in tonight. Um, So if you have your notes, it's the notes we've been going through for the last few weeks there. We're still there. Um, And so we're looking at five specific signs of the times, and so last week, just to kind of review a little bit, um, on page number five is where we started last week, and we looked at Israel. Uh, maybe if you weren't with us, the, the top blank on that on page five is Israel. If you want to fill that in, and uh, we'll just give you the blanks as we go through. Number one on that page was the rebirth of Israel. So we saw that Israel was reborn in a day. And over on page uh, six, there we have Jerusalem, her capital. That's number two. We saw that not only did Israel become a nation, but then they also took over the capital of Jerusalem there. And then number three, we see the rebuilding of the temple. And we talked last week that one of the things the Antichrist will do when he comes into power is he will rebuild, physically rebuild the Jewish temple. Uh, there and uh, we'll set up that as a time of peace and then eventually at at the midpoint he will um, rule and reign uh, from the temple there. The next main blank that we looked at last week on page number seven was truth. So the big line there is truth. We talked about how truth is on life support, how really uh, you know People would lie if the truth would help, right? You know, so they're just going to lie, and we're seeing how that just falls apart. There's no such thing as absolute truth according to the world, but we know that God's Word is our absolute truth, right? And that's what we hold to and, and follow, but the world has no absolute truth. Then on page number eight, the large blank there is morality. We started looking at morality last week. And we started breaking it down, we looked at it being at the time of Noah and Lot there, and the sins that were prevalent in that day are the sins that we see normal uh, here. And we started breaking those down, the, the list of 19 specific moral issues that Paul gave to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1-5, through 5. Uh, we see them breaking down. So we started last week looking at exaltation of self, uh, we noticed that... Looking out for number one is the most important thing we see in the world today. We call that narcissism. That's what the word it means there. Um, And we see people doing that. Um, Number two, we saw the rejection of authority. Um, And we see that all over the place today. We talked about what happened last summer uh, during the Black Lives Matter riots and things and the police and all of that. Um, And then we looked at uh, rejection of moral standards, which is number three. There's just been a large rejection of moral standards uh, in our culture today. Kind of finishing up with that, looking at um, the fact that the last paragraph there on on page 10 before number 4, sexual restraint uh, was also something that was once honored, um, and we see sexual restraint totally go out the window uh, today. And so... Um, I've been mentioned how this has uh, affected the church. I think I mentioned in the sermon I preached uh, last uh, Sunday, the idea kind of goes along with this. There was a statistic that I just read, uh, just came out, uh, that polled uh, Christians in general and the poll showed that uh, in Christianity today, it is understood that it is okay to have premarital sex. It is accepted in the church. They look at it as being okay. Uh, And the Bible says that any sex outside of marriage is fornication and is a sin. Uh, And it is not uh, accepted by God. But the church has, uh, as a whole, has come out. Many Christians believe that it's really not that big of a deal. Um, And then we talked about the fact that any sin in the eyes of God is a big deal, isn't it? And it is a big deal, whether the the church or people say, or even those in authority say, if anybody, listen, if anybody tells you that's in any position of authority, that something's okay and the Bible says it's not, word of warning, go with the Bible, okay? Because you will stand before God and God has ultimate authority, (laughs) all right? So, uh Absolutely. So make sure that you do that. So we're going to move into some of this more sexual um, uh, perversions, if you will, that are taking place. And so number four there, your blank is um, because morality is falling apart and we see these things happening, we see that people now have become vicious and unloving. Vicious and unloving is the blank there for number four. Paul tells us, as we've read through Second uh, Timothy uh, chapter three, verses one through five, he says, uh, "People will be heartless, unappeasable, and slanderous in these last days." And we see this happening all over the place, especially on the internet. Uh, many of you will recall many times throughout uh, over the years where p- people have gotten on social media and have caused. A lot of damage, a lot of hurt, right? Uh, teens getting on there and saying things about teens, bullying on, on these types of social medias, adults getting on there and picking on teens and, and causing problems. You don't have to go far. Just put something on Facebook today that is representative of Jesus Christ and you will have as much hate speech as you possibly can get uh on there uh people just tearing you down and stuff like that it doesn't have to be uh, christian things It could be anything else everybody has an opinion and their opinion is right and they can put you down however they want to put you down that's just how it how it works and people are out there doing that all the time so there's a lot of hatred a lot of uh, uh unlovingness a lot of um unkindness that's going out. We have uh, teens being hateful to teens, boyfriends and girlfriends destroying each other, adults verbally attacking teens. Uh, There was a story just uh, several years ago now of a mother who got on social media and berated a young girl who was a cheerleader, and the young girl took her life as a result of that. An an adult, a parent, tearing down a child to the point that they push this child to take her life. And you think... Boy, I would think and hope that parents would have a little more uh, understanding than that. But it's, it's not. It's just, how, it's just how our society is uh, these days. And we see it happening over and over and over again. And as I've already said to you, in Noah's day and in Lot's day, the prevailing sin that was talked about in those days was the sexual immorality that took place. And so I want us to look at some of that which is happening today. So just like Noah's day, sexual immorality is the norm for us today. However, to be very honest with you, I think possibly we have invented some things that would even make those in Noah and Lot's day, Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood, make them blush. (laughs) <laughs> to be very honest. That's how far we have moved, how far we have gone in this. And the first one is this. Let me give you four things briefly uh, in this. Number one, if, uh, if that you have that blank there. It is global distribution of explicit pornography. Global distribution of explicit pornography. And that word explicit is very, very important. Not that any pornography is acceptable. None of it is. Never is it acceptable. Jesus said to look on a woman or women, to look on a man in a lustful manner is sin. It's committing adultery in your heart already that we are not to do that. But the word explicit is now, uh, it used to be just pictures, just pin up stuff like that. And, And again, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm saying that's just as bad as the rest. But now it is just A thousand times, a thousand times worse of what you can get. And no longer do you have to go anywhere to get it. It's being pumped into your home. As a matter of fact, right now, every single one of you here tonight has unlimited access to whatever pornography you want to get to through your cell phone. You carry your cell phone with you. You have uh, access uh, to it. I hope you don't access it, but you do. You just have unlimited access. And let me say this. Pornography is not a man's issue any longer. Men who are side oriented God created men to be side oriented this was they, this was the predominant struggle that they had uh, was men in pornography Today statistics tell us that women engage in pornography just as much as men do and so it's uh, uh it has just progressed to to uh just magnitude of stuff that we don't Uh, uh, know about as a matter of fact and this is this is shocking as well uh, the numbers have dropped so much age-wise that uh, anymore it used to be that you were a teen before you ever saw anything pornographic children at the age of eight are finding pornography online as well and seeing these things and getting a hold of these things uh, and stuff and it's just really having a horrible effect so we see here that the the pervasiveness of pornography running rampant in our world today, the ease of it, the the fact that we can uh, uh, get it anywhere we want, anytime we want, uh, and we don't have, and we can we can hide with this. We can, we you know, uh, and let me put it let me be very blunt here. Okay, this is not just a world's problem. This infects the church as well. All right. There, there is struggles uh, with pornography within the church. There are struggles with pornography amongst pastors today. One of the one of the biggest problems that pastors face: about thirty three percent of all pastors struggle with some type of porno- pornographic uh, addiction uh, because it's so readily there and the sin is there. So you've got to guard yourself. you you've got to. And we'll talk about our responsibility as Christians. But I, I just want to stress to you how easy this is. Not only that. But even, uh, even I have, and my wife has experienced this as well, but th- there's so many advertisements that come out for these things and, and things that are out there. And not only is it just to see images or to, to watch videos, but it's people that want to li- be live on, on the computer and, and trying to, um, there's websites out that, that you can Go get hookups, just have an affair, a one-night stand, whatever you want, and that you can find it all over the computer, and these things you've got to watch out for and not be a part of. The next is going to uh, shock you maybe, uh, maybe make you giggle a little bit, but this is absolutely true. Uh, I've mentioned a little bit of it. Virtual, number two is virtual and robotic sex. Virtual and robotic sex. Pornography has been the first step in destroying this God-given institution of family and so forth. However, pornography is not enough. Today, man has rec- has created robots to replace people. There are robots, sexual robots out there, devices that are out there, things that are out there that you can get in, into, uh, and we see the deviousness of this uh, happening. What's really crazy uh, about this is that uh, people get wrapped up in this. People get obsessed with this, uh, with this new technology. And they wind up saying that they love their sex robot other than they would love a mate or someone else. I mean, it's just the, the depravity of man's heart, the depravity of man that they would, they would rather have this type of uh, situation than to have um, a, a mate or, or anything along those lines. And so we see this, this just running rampant uh, all over the place Um, I do not uh, encourage you to go looking for this but I promise you it will not be difficult to find okay and it is out there I hope I hope and pray some of you are looking at me like going this can't be true and I I praise God that you're looking at me that way (laughs) right Uh, but unfortunately it is Uh, it is Um, and then number three I'm going to give you a word here before I give you number three let me let me start here Um, Sexuality has absolutely morphed into areas, as we understand, that are totally against God and what God has for us. Uh, One of the things that, that has become so predominant in our day and age, I don't know if you know this or not, is polygamy. This is, this is a, a man having two wives, a wife having two husbands, or multiple wives, or stuff like that. This has become the norm in our society today that, as a matter of fact, in the past five years, there's been a very popular television show uh, on the Learning Channel called Sister Wives. Have you heard of that uh, there? It is a it is a Mormon family. The man has four wives and, and himself, and they talk about their life and, and where they go. Utah, uh, where it, Mormon capital is, has now put into legislation that uh, polygamy, is not illegal any longer, that uh, that no longer can you go to jail for it, you just now get a slap on the wrist, or it, basically it's the same as getting a speeding ticket now uh, there. And and not only is it, you know, and most of this was based upon the Mormon faith, the Mormon belief, which again, goes against the Word of God, is not what the Bible teaches. We do not accept, even though the Mormon faith believed this, and this was actually This is the old Mormon faith. The new Mormon church does not accept this any longer. But the old Mormon faith did and people are still in that. But there are new shows out now that I've just seen over the, uh, the past year that have come out based upon this. Um, still on the Learning Channel, it's called Seeking Sister Wives. And now it's just people that don't have any faith whatsoever. A man and a woman deciding they want to add another woman to their marriage, or a man and a woman wanting to add another man to their marriage, and, and stuff like that. This is all debauchery. This is all adultery. This is all fornication. This is sin. Okay, This is sin, but the world is trying to pass it off as being okay. And listen, just as what I'm going to tell you next, the church is buying into this. The church is going, well, maybe it's not for me, but okay for you. And it's not. It's not, but this is what's, what's happening. And then we've seen, we've all walked through over the, our lives the, the struggle and, and the things that are happening with homosexuality. Um, in 1950, homosexuality was uh, known as a mental disease and it was changed out of the psychiatrics books not because they found something different it was all changed because of politics it was politically changed not changed because they figured that diagnosing a person with this and stuff like that has nothing to do with their health has nothing to do with with their mental status it has everything to do with making it okay in the world and the world has accepted this and christians have gotten on board uh, leaps and bounds accepting this and saying that it's okay. And God says it is not. And we need to follow, again, we need to follow the word of God, not what the world says, not what other religious leaders say. We must follow what the word of God says. But what's interesting now, as you know, just a few years back, our government made homosexuality uh, legal, homosexual marriage equal to uh, marriage between one man and one woman. And within that fight... What is coming down the pipe now? And, and make note of this. I want you to see this. Because I want you to... You say, Pastor, why are we going through all this? I, it's not because I want you to be up on this stuff. It's because I want you to see how this is depraving. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The very same argument they made uh, for homosexuality and they've made for same-sex marriage is now the same exact argument they are putting forward to have adults love and have relationships with children, the same exact language for homosexuality is now being put to pedophilia, and saying that it's okay because because we can have uh, relationships between one uh, a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It should still be okay because uh, a man or a woman should be able to have relationships with. Children. And it's the same exact argument, which leads us now to number three. A word that you may not have ever heard before, but has now become predominant, which blumps all of this together, is called pansexuality. Pansexuality is the next big Thing in our society, no longer is it homosexuality. No, ma- no longer is it uh, pedophilia, which is all part of that. And this is now pansexuality. What is pansexuality? It is the idea that a person can be open to sexual experiences with a person of either gender or with someone who does not identify with any gender. It's the idea. It's the idea that basically you can be sexually attracted to. Whomever, whatever you want to be sexually attracted to, and that's okay, all right? Um, And what's very uh, disgusting about this, or what's very sad about this, if you will, this is taking our young people by storm. It is the next quote-unquote cool thing. It is an expression of sexual rebellion and a refusal to follow social or religious morals or norms. Pastor Jimmy Evans says in his book on page 144, and that's a quote from him, he, he is, th- this is happening all over the place. And to give you a, an idea of this, not only pansexuality, but even th- this idea of being um, attracted or having a relationship with anyone, just on April the 10th, 2021, news headline from the New York Times, also on the Fox News. You can go go look up newyorkpost.com uh, New or foxnews.com. Here's the headline you will find on April the 10th twenty twenty one New York parent seeks okay to marry their own adult child new york parent parent New york wants to what, is a petitioning the government petitioning the courts there to say it 's okay that they can marry their adult child okay This is the perversion that we are living in this is the the sexual perversion that is taking place, and then it culminates with number four. Uh, And a word that you do know and you have heard is transsexuality. Transsexuality is nothing new. It's been openly practiced since the 1960s. But it has become mainstream mainly because of, you'll know the name, Bruce Jenner. Right? How many of you know and remember just, uh, was was it a year or two years back, that Bruce Jenner, and it, it is a he by the way, you can change the parts, but he's still a he, okay? He got on Time Magazine or the Person of the Year or whatever because of this. Uh, and, and I remember so many posts coming out, and rightfully so, for our servicemen that have lost limbs and lost their lives because of what they did for our country. And here, he goes by Caitlyn Jenner now, uh, uh, gets all these accolades and awards, and the, and the world celebrates celebrates this as being a great um, achievement. And the sad thing is, and what they're finding out now, the sad thing is what they're finding out is the fact that those who go through reassignment surgery and those who, who decide to make these changes from a man to a woman or a woman to a man, that the suicide rate is actually going up. They're committing suicide because they can't live in the body they're in, and they're so confused, and they're not getting any help. They're told it's okay. Go ahead and make these changes and stuff like that. And yet, when they do, it doesn't solve the problem that they have. It doesn't uh, solve the mental anguish that they're dealing with. And when they change over, they recognize their life isn't any better, and they're taking their life. And as a matter of fact, this is coming straight from, or, or the, the movement of this is moving to our children right from this president, President Biden, and our administration today as a matter of fact you might have seen the town hall meeting where the parent got up and talked about their eight-year-old child who wanted to become transgender who wanted to change their sex and asked president biden what would he do in this and he would he said we will get them the drugs we will get them the hormones we will get them whatever they need so that they can make this transition at eight years old i couldn't tell you my favorite color at eight years old right I mean, you can't make a decision like that. The same people that are saying don't assign a gender to your child until they're four years old and let them pick. That doesn't make any sense. That's just totally mind-boggling. As a matter of fact, the same people that say that our gender is fluid and we can change it any way that we want to know, I apologize, I'm sorry, but God decided your gender when you were born. All right? That is, that is it, and that's the final line, because transsexuality is literally saying this. It is saying, by definition, God made a mistake. God didn't know what he was doing. God uh, put me in this body, and he messed it up, and, and, and literally what they're trying to do is to take God out of the equation and, and trying to make things change for themselves. So God... Uh, In Psalm 139, 13 through 18, tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, that He has made no mistakes. God has perfectly made them male and female through biological design, and your biological makeup is who you are. Now you say, well, Pastor, what about those who, who, you may have heard the term hermaphrodites, or those who have had... Problems and genetic mutations and stuff like that. Well, that's why we need to have psychiatrists and medical attention and stuff like that to help them determine those types of things and deal with those types of things. But even that mutation, listen, not because the person isn't, Sinful because of it, but the, the, the result of it is because of sin in our world. Does that make sense? You understand that? The reason why those problems are there is because of sin in our world. They're, um, they're not sinful because of that, but it's something that we have to deal with and see happening. Uh, this is what shows us that our world is broken. So, how do we as Christians uh, deal with this? So, the next blank there, I don't know if you have a blank there or not. Christianity and morality. Under number four, there's a blank there. Christianity and morality. I got it filled in? Sweet. All right. Bonus! (laughs) All right. Um, As followers of Christ, very simple, and I'm going to say this matter-of-factly, is this, we are to abstain from all of this moral sin. All the way through. We are to abstain from the moral sin that we see being laid out. Now listen, it doesn't mean that we don't deal with temptation. It doesn't mean that we don't make a choice for sin. It means that when we do, we, we get it right with God. We, we, we make sure there's provision in our life to help us not get back into those types of sin and get into that sin. Um, you know, have, you know, there is a ton, let's, let's just look at pornography. There's a ton of software out there that you can put on your computer that can keep you away from when, when you have that temptation to click that one button in that one second. That's the reality of what it is. You know, you don't have to search very much anymore. It kind of comes to find you, and you have the, the, the instantaneous chance to just click on that button and something come up that you're not supposed to see. And we need to utilize the software That is out there. The biggest key to this and the biggest thing to this is the fact that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, must surrender to follow the Word of God, to obey God, to seek forgiveness of our sins, and to follow Him. And that is why, in the day and age that we are living in, and Jesus spoke about this and is speaking about this the fact that when we are in the end times, we need to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are walking in God's word, we are walking in fellowship with fellow believers, and we are faithful to obey the word of God in our lives to the best of our ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as time wears on before the Lord comes back, this stuff is not going to get easier in our lives. It's going to become harder. It's going to be easier for us to obtain and harder for us to abstain. But can I give you one other thing here? Um, You'll notice in your notes there, this is why it is more important than ever that, and the first one says that men take the spiritual head of your household. I want to speak to this for just one moment here. I found this article today. I just want to read you some excerpts out of it. This is so very important. Uh, The the author of this is uh, S. Michael Craven. I got this out of Christian Post. He was a guest columnist that wrote this in uh, June 19th of 2011. It still applies today. The title is Fathers, Key to Their Children's Faith. Just listen as I read really quick. I am afraid that our culture in general has reduced the role of fatherhood, along with marriage itself, to something non-essential or unnecessary. And our society is going this way. And if not there right now, even many men today regard parenting as being primarily the mother's role and somehow no longer associated with masculinity or quote unquote real manhood. Instead, many have succumbed to the modern culture uh, caricatures encouraged by feminist psychology uh, and the primitive label of hunter gatherer, and thus assume that this is their main contribution to the family. As a result, too many men, including professing Christian men, uh, express their role as father exclusively in terms of financial provider. As long as I go out and make the money and my family can survive, then I'm doing my job as a parent. There's nothing else I need to be a part of. The fact is, children are not looking for financial provision. They are looking for love, guidance, and a role model for what it means to be a man. I want to jump down here? Uh, he says a rather obscure but large and important study was conducted by the Swiss government in 1994 and was published in the year 2000s. And I want to just give you what it reveals. It revealed some astonishing facts with regard to the general, uh, the excuse me, the generational transmission of faith and religious values. So what this study did is it laid out the importance of how we transmit our faith to our children. And the primary person that transfers faith to our children is the father. It's the father. In our Western culture, though, we have relegated that to the mother. The mother is the one that's going to teach them about the Bible, is going to teach them those things. But in order for our children to progress, and this is what this study showed. So the study reveals it is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance at or absence from church of the children. Now, this is specific in church attendance, but this also covers the spiritual maturity and growth of our children uh, in this. And the father of the family, above all, determines their growth. So the report says this, if both father and mother attend regularly, if both mother and father go, 33% of their children will end up as regular churchgoers. So one third will will actually be churchgoers if both go. Forty-one percent will end up attending irregularly. They'll hit once or once or twice a month or something like that. And only a quarter of their children will end up not participating at all. So the best way that you the best chance you have of getting your children in church to be in church the rest of their life is for the husband and the wife to both attend church together. They see the family unit and they all go together. However, if the father is irregular. And the mother regular, if the father rarely goes, the mother is, is faithful in going, the father rarely goes, only 3% of the children will become regular attenders. 30% drop. Only three percent. If the mom goes all the time, but the dad goes hit or miss, Christmas and Easter or whatever, only three percent percent of the children will subsequently become regular regulars themselves. While a further fifty nine percent will become irregulars, thirty eight percent will be completely lost. Thirty eight percent will never attend church ever again in their life if the if the dad never goes or goes irregularly and the mother mother goes on a regular basis. But only 3% are guaranteed that they will go. Now, if the father is non-practicing, completely rejects Christianity, re- rejects the church or whatever, and the mother regularly goes, so say the father's not saved, he's not going to have anything to do with church, and the, the mother goes on a regular basis, only 2% of the children will become regular worshipers, 37 will become uh, irregular attenders, and 68% of the children will completely walk away from church. Okay, now watch this, okay, and this is not, this is not at all insinuating that, that what the mother does is not important, don't misunderstand me, okay, what the mother does is very, very important, okay, this is very important, but I want you to see what happens here and what, and what they're trying to say. What happens if the father then is a regular attender, the father attends church on a regular basis and the mother is irregular or doesn't go at all? So the father goes on a regular basis and the mother hits sporadically or doesn't. Amazingly, the percentage of children becoming regular goes up from 33% to 38% with the, with the irregular mother and up to 44% with the non-practicing. This suggests that loyalty to the father's commitment grows in response to the mother's laxity or indifference to the religion. So basically this, if the father is faithful in going and faithfully attends church it stands up as the spiritual leader of his home, instead of 3% of the children uh, going on a regular basis, it goes to 33%. Based upon the father. In short, this is what he comes to. This is the conclusion. If a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his uh, wife's devotion, only one child in 50 will become regular worshipers. But if a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers. So if the father doesn't go, no matter how much the mother goes, only one in 50 kids will be regular attenders to the house of God. But if the father goes, no matter what the mother does, and I'm just saying, mothers, if you go with the fathers, much better chances, right? Always. Then two-thirds to three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers. One of the reasons suggested for this distinction is that children tend to take their cues about domestic life from mom while their concepts of the world outside come from dad. So children learn mom from the domestic what's happening in the house, but what we do in the world and how we act in the world and the things that we do in the world like going to church and, and, and our faith come from dad's cues. If dad says it's not important, then it's not important in my life. You know, mom says it's important, but still dad says it's not important. It's not that important, you see. Um, So this confirms the essential role of the father as spiritual leader, which I would argue is uh, true fatherhood, and I would argue the same thing. This is what it means to be a real man. A real man steps up and is the spiritual leader of his home. Because why? You know what's interesting about this? God established it that way. Isn't that interesting? This is only echoing what the Bible says, right? Right? Fathers are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, modeling the love of the Father in their most important earthly relationships. Fathers are to care for their children uh, as our Heavenly Father cares for us. And finally, fathers play a primary role in teaching their children the truth about reality. It is the Father who should instruct His children in their understanding for, uh, of the world from a consciously and informed Christian worldview. The point is this is that men, it is so vitally important, even more so in the day that we are living in today, that we step up and be the spiritual leaders of our home. It should be the father that is saying we should be in church. It should be the father that is saying we should serve God. It should be the father that should be leading uh, in the home. Now listen, you may be, well, my kids are grown. They're all gone. I mean, The, the time has passed. That's fine. But you can still uh, pray for them. You can still uh, exhibit this as adults and, and share with them what, what you're doing in your life. And, you all, and if you have grandchildren, you can live out those things as a grandparent and let them see how important. Uh, because... I want you to know the value of a grandparent, because I am one now, (laughs) is huge, is huge. Uh, I believe that there's a bond between a grandparent and a child that the the parents can't can't have, but you can have that is so sweet, that can still have lasting, lasting impact on those kiddos for the rest of their lives, and you can start showing that now. So the reality is, is that the morality of our world is going down, 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 Continually, considerably, all the time, rapidly, which means we must amp up more, 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 more into God's word, into spirituality, and living what is right uh, there. So that's morality. Any questions? Good, because I want to try to get down. Ron, go ahead, buddy. Absolutely. Yep, I can get you a hard copy of that. Yep. Absolutely. All right. The next thing, the next big blank on number 11 is technology. Technology. Did you know the Bible talks about technology? Did you know that? Uh, And actually, 90% of when it talks about technology is referring to what's going to happen in the end times. Now, we're going to move through this pretty quickly. I'm not going to cover everything in this section for the sake of time, but uh, you have things that you can read there and reference to. But the first thing I want you to see the Bible talks about uh, for technology um, is, number one, travel and knowledge. Travel and knowledge. Interestingly, the uh, going got to go back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter number twelve, verse number four. The angel speaking to Daniel tells him to take the prophecy that he has received about the end times, seal it up till the time of the ends, at the time of the end, and he and he gives us a picture of what the time of the end looks like. Daniel chapter twelve, verse number four, he says, "But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end." Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. We see here that the angel giving, uh, saying this to Daniel to seal it up says, There's going to be a time in history as time goes on when we come to the end where people are going to travel to and fro, and knowledge is going to increase. And the fact of the matter is, is we've seen that pattern throughout all time. All right? Knowledge has continued to increase, um, and uh, stuff. Now <laughs> Some arguments that some knowledge some knowledge has decreased, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we see that happening as well. But the, but the, the resources that we have, okay, the, the knowledge that we have because of the tools that we have has increased. Now, many people can't count back change to you, but the computer they work on can tell you exactly what change you get back, right? And that's kind of how we have more knowledge in that. So it's very interesting. The question is, has travel increased since the time of Daniel? And Daniel's uh, time was 534 B.C. And the answer is yes. They had had horses and carriages and and small boats. But now, over uh, 100 years ago, the average person could only go about 20 to 40 miles in a single day on foot or by horse. And that's really what they could do in Daniel's day. But before the 19th century, right, before uh, the 1800s, Travel was difficult. You might be able to travel 100 uh, miles or 200 miles by boat if the weather was favorable and the winds are going the direction you want. But at the turn of the 19th century, travel began to change. There was a great uh, increase in mobility due to the trains, the railroads that were put across the nation. People could travel now to different areas because of, of trains. And in the early 20th century, travel exploded. Cars came on the scene, buses came on the scene. And then in the 1960s, something phenomenally happened. The average person now could get on an airplane and travel. Okay. Before then, it wasn't feasible or or financially able uh, to do that. Not that there weren't airplanes around, but but what I'm saying is it was now feasible for the average person to get on a plane and to travel. Today, it is not uncommon for people to travel to different countries in matters of hours. Let me let me test this. How many of you have traveled outside of our country? Outside of our country? Yeah. Look. Okay. Uh, over 100 years ago 150 years ago most people wouldn't have their hands up it wasn't possible okay uh you know how many you know if i was, if I was even to ask within the last couple of weeks or maybe the last couple of months of you how many traveled to a different state from here you know you'd be able to say yes no problem uh without that um i know of one person that traveled all the way to california and back within just 24 hours so they flew by the way they didn't they didn't you know anyways but uh so I, the 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 fact of the matter is we can go anywhere in the world. The, I mean, the train system they have over in Europe, you can go to, like, I don't know, eight or nine countries within a couple hours just flying through at hundreds of miles an hour. Uh, they're talking about the fact in the future that we'll be able to, what I don't know, fly into space and come right back down, you know, and be able to get around the other side of the world really fast. So everything is continually moving faster and faster and faster. And so we see here that travel is just at a, a huge rate, just going faster and faster and faster than what it was in Daniel's age. Now, I'm going to say this again at the, at the end, but I want to make the point, okay? You say, well, what's the big deal about that? The big deal is, is that where we are even today, if the Lord allows and permits, as as we go the next hundred years, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're just going to be able to travel that much farther, and that much, you know, we may be taking trips to the moon at that point, you know? Go shop at the outlet mall on the moon, whatever, who knows, you know? But uh, uh, my point is, is that, we're seeing this happen, and we're seeing this happen more and more. But let's look at knowledge specifically. Knowledge increasing, uh, there. Has this happened? Well, in nineteen eighty two, uh, Buckminster Fuller developed what is known as the knowledge doubling curve, and you have a picture of that on page number thirteen. Uh, there, it only goes to it goes to twenty twenty, uh, but. In the 1900s, looking at that chart there, up to 1900, knowledge doubled every century. So 1700 to 1800, knowledge doubled. 1800 to 1900, knowledge doubled. In 1945, they determined that knowledge began to double every 25 years. So a quarter of the time, we learn more, learn faster, learn more, and stuff like that. In 1982, now they have... depicted that knowledge started doubling every 12 to 13 months. Every year, your knowledge would increase uh, 12 to 13 months. In 2020, IBM predicts knowledge doubling every 11 to 12 hours. Now, that doesn't mean that you have all of this stored in, in your mind. It means it's talking about the access we have uh, for the knowledge that we need, meaning this. Whatever Information you need to get to, you can get to within seconds, whatever it is. Just Google it, right? I mean, that, that's what we have. And you have the world's wealth of information at your fingertips uh, and so forth. I use this as an illustration. We did this just the other night, Paul and I did. We were watching a television show. We saw an actor on that show. We couldn't figure out who the actor was. What did we see them in last time? They were in some other movie. Who were they? What were they? What did we do? You know what we did? <clears throat> actually, actually, it was a law and order uh, uh, show one of the old ones, way back in the early beginning of because uh, you know there's 20 seasons of Law and Order, just so you know that I didn't know. But anyways, way back when, and all I did was uh, hit the the guide on my TV, and it told me the name of the show. You know, each each show has its own name, so I typed in Google Law and Order show cast and it gave me every person who was in that uh episode even if they were just a stand-in who they were and I went down and found their picture found their name clicked on their name and it showed me everything they did movie wise Uh, and I and I found the movie that that they were in I can't tell you what it is now because I didn't I don't care but you know it's a uh but in that moment in that second and I was like oh Paula they played in this remembering, oh yeah we know you know it used to be you'd look at them and go, who is that? I don't know. And you'd go to bed just worrying about it all night long. Just I can't, I can't remember who that is, right? Now, here's what's, what's absolutely amazing about this, because this is, uh, Pastor uh, Jimmy Evans has this quote here. There is even talk that by the year 2030, our brain will be able to connect to the cloud. Now, if you don't know what the cloud is, that is the internet, that is the, the virtual place where all this stuff is floating around above us, not a big nice puffy cloud, the information cloud, that our mind will be able to, we'll have some type of computer chip technology, something like that, that will allow us to, instead of typing in uh, Google, we'll just access through our brain and be able to have, this. I don't know if, they, if it will or not, but look at what is, the quote is here at on the bottom, middle of page uh, 13, at the 2015, this was back in 2015 now, Exponential Finance uh, Conference in New York, Google Director of Engineering Ray Kurzweil, boldly proclaimed humans will be hybrids in 2030. That means our brains will be able to connect directly to the cloud where there will be thousands of computers and those computers will augment our existing intelligence he said the brain will connect via nanobots, tiny robots made from DNA strands. Our thinking, uh, our thinking then will be a hybrid of biological and non-biological thinking. Okay, that's what they're predicting. You know, and this is you're like going, this is a Star Trek uh, episode or, or whatever. But the funny thing is, is that a lot of that stuff that's predicted in the Star Trek shows actually, actually happens one day. One day we might be able to go, go around with warp drive. Who knows? You know, uh, but uh, anyways, there, we see how this is going. So one of the things that we see happening today that, that uh, the angels told Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 is that travel has um, grown and knowledge has grown as well. Number two in technology is instant global information. Did you know, instant global information, instant global information? Did you know that the Bible talks about satellite TV and internet? Do you know that? In Revelation, when we get there, we will study it in chapter number 11. It's the the two witnesses that are on the earth um, that are witnessing against the Antichrist and witnessing for Christ. They are two anointed men by God given special powers to protect themselves. They'll be preaching in the streets and, and teaching. And the Antichrist will get so upset with them and so mad with them that he will kill them in the streets. Okay, and so we see here uh, in Revelation eleven four through ten says these are the two olive trees talking about these men, the two lampstands. These are just uh, references to these men that stand before the Lord of the Earth. We're on page fourteen, by the way. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours out of their mouth and consumes their foes. Talk about garlic breath, right? They'll have that ability. I don't know, they can breathe fire, God says. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And When they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them. That's a reference to the Antichrist. And conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically called Sodom and Egypt where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days some of the people and the tribes of the language of the nations will gaze at their bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and uh, exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. And then, uh, it was, I don't have it in here in verse number 11, uh, three days later, they will uh, rise again, they'll come back to life, God will, and then they will ascend into heaven, we'll look at that when we look at chapter number 11. But here's the thing, Every one on the planet will witness this, everyone on the planet will see this happen. They will see them die. They will see them laying in the streets. They will see all of this take place. They will see this and be so overjoyed by it, so excited by it, that they send presents to each other. I don't know what that Hallmark card will look like. Uh, But... uh, you know, I don't know, but but they, they will. It'll be like Christmas. Be, you know, the prophets are dead. They you know they were they were driving us crazy. They were showing us how bad we were. They were against our uh, Christ, the Antichrist, who we look up to as the world will. They'll watch it happen. They'll watch it have it live. Time, thirty years ago, just thirty years ago. I'll just go back thirty years ago. Maybe even twenty years ago. Oh well, no, thirty years ago, you couldn't do this. 20 years ago you could, because we all remember 9-11, don't we? You know, by way of our news station, we, many of us can remember where we were. We didn't see the first plane, but we saw live the second plane, didn't we? All over. And then now today, uh, I get news alerts on my phone constantly talking about things that are happening in the world, and, and it's just minutes after they, they happen. You can, you, know, you can see things happen in the world in live time by way of satellite and internet and and things uh, instantly happening. And so before this there was no idea how they were going to see this. There was no idea how the world was going to see this happen there. But now we know that with our satellite TV um, and with the internet and as our technology is going it's just going to improve more and more and more. If the Lord tarries again same same truth. If the Lord tarries we're going to have better technology to let us see this even more so so we see where we are and where, where we're going with that number three technology and there's a lot to say with this but i'm going to really kind of break it down so you might you know need to read your notes there but global financial control global financial control as the leader of the world, the Antichrist will have great military power. However, his greatest control will come from his financial power. And I've made reference to this already. We're not going to read the text. I encourage you to. Revelation 13, through 18 talks about the mark of the beast. What is significant about the mark of the beast? The mark of the beast will be given by the Antichrist for all those who worship him. They will get a mark in their right hand or on their forehead. Uh, whatever this mark will be, and it will be based upon having this mark on their forehead and right hand that will allow them to buy and sell products. So what is this? In the 80s, there was, uh, I remember my mom telling me, she worked for a grocery store, that the, the hassle of what it was to move to scanners in the grocery store. You remember when that came out? Uh, It was nice after they got it, but all the hassle of doing it. My mom, for many years, used to stand at the register, look at the tag, type in the number, pass it. You know, do you remember that? Now it's just boop, boop. Guess what? Right now, you do that, right? Last week, I got employee of the month at Walmart. (laughs) I mean, we do it now. And so, the barcodes bar came, you know, those barcodes that could be scanned for the for the price there that we still uh, use there. A lot of people thought, well, maybe that was going to be a tattoo of barcode on, on their forehead or on their hand there. And then the 90s, computers became accessible. Uh, computers became accessible to everyone. Personal computers were in the home, started then, um, and they keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So microchips were, was a thought that the, those would be uh, put on the forehead or the hand. Today, we have what's known as microchips, right? We have little little uh, mega computers that can store a, a ton of information in what's a, nothing bigger than a grain of rice, right? Uh, and, it, and we've already talked about this. We, we know that it was talked about uh, under Obamacare, when, when they were going to put Obamacare in place to have a chip of all in you and and they can get all that and we know that with the the vaccine that just came out for COVID there was a big fear that that Bill Gates was going to put a computer chip in that and uh, and stuff like that Uh, the next thing that may come along we just talked about it a little bit uh, was said it was nanobots right those little microscopic nanobots that that uh, we just heard in, in the other technology maybe that don't know what it is going to be but here's one thing I do know Microchips are already being implanted in people. Did you know that? We implant them in our pets. Our, my pets have all had them so that we can uh, find them. I don't mind that, by the way, because this is the mark of the beast. I don't want my pets going to heaven with me, anyways. So, oh, come on, you animal lovers, I tell you. Especially my cat. But, anyways. Uh, um, but people are doing this, uh, I think it was even here in Wisconsin, if I, if I remember correctly, it was just a, a, a few years ago that a company started microchipping their employees if they wanted to buy things from the employee snack shop. So it was an option they had, they could put it right into the hand there, and they would walk in, and they would scan their hand, and it would go to their account, and they were okay. There's stories out of people around the world just doing this themselves. Uh, I know of a guy, or I heard a story of a guy that decided to be able to unlock his car and start his car just with a wave of his hand. He put his own little microchip, computer chip in there, uh, there and stuff like that. And so, and there may come a time, as a matter of fact, every single one, did you know this? Are you ready? Every single one of us is chipped already. Did you know that? Take out your credit card. Every single credit card now has a chip in it. And then that chip, what's so interesting is if you go to the airport now, uh, I know everybody prints their tickets off from the computer, but if you go to the airport into one of those little kiosks to get your boarding pass, they'll ask you to insert a credit card. And the reason why is they're not taking money off of your credit card. They can get all of your information that they need to have for that boarding pass right off of that chip uh, that's in your computer. and so they. I mean, our debit cards are even chipped now. Right and, and, and are used that way. So it, it's there. It, the technology is there. I think it's going to be something along those lines or something greater to that. But let me calm your fears. Okay? The mark of the beast is only given to those who willingly worship the Antichrist. Okay? There is no possible way that you are going to be duped into receiving the mark of the beast. Number one, uh, in my view of, of end times, we won't be here. The rapture of the church will take place. We'll be gone. We don't have to worry about it. Number two, uh, uh, you have to say yes. Uh, so this is an act of worship. This is an act when the Antichrist is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period when the Antichrist establishes establishes himself as Messiah that in order to worship him you have to be chipped. I don't even know. It, it might be True, that in order for you to come into whatever temples or synagogues they have or, or churches they have that worship the Antichrist, you might have to show your attendance by just running your hand through as you go, go through or scanning your head or whatever it may be. I don't know. That's all speculation. But I want to stress to you that those who have the mark of the beast will uh, be, uh, excuse me, will be worshipers there. Now, how soon can this happen? How soon can something like this take place? You ready? We can go to a current 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 list. is that right? Currency list that's not right either. no currency. are you with me? what's <laughs> the right term? We can go with no currency in our world, probably probably within days today. okay There's no value to our currency whatsoever. there's no gold backing it up. there's nothing that is there. as a matter of fact, they're fighting right now right now I just I just received this in my, uh, in my email, I was going to bring it out, I forgot, from a gold company trying to sell coin, uh, gold coins. They said, there's nothing backing your currency right now, your currency could go away in a day, invest in gold. They wanted me to invest in gold, but they're right, they're, they're, these guys that don't even know what the Bible says is, are quoting the scriptures saying, listen, we're going to go to a cashless society soon, make sure you're investing in gold because the money that you have is worthless. How do you know that the money we have is worthless? Well, remember, uh, just recently we received stimulus checks? Three trillion dollars. You know, we got stimulus checks from, and uh, also uh, all these other um, things that they took care of in, in that little deal there. You know where that money came from? That's it. <laughs> they said, I want three trillion dollars. And we went in the hole to buy the ink and the paper in order for us to print off $3 trillion. And I don't even know that they, they printed off $3 trillion because it's all computerized. That's all it is. That's all it is. It, so let me even put it to you this way. When, when I, I did receive uh, stimulus money and when I received it, you know how I received it? went right into my bank account. Never saw any paper, nothing. I just The numbers changed in my, in my bank account there. Which was nice because usually my numbers are subtracting all the time. But, you know, they went up. Um, and so I have said many times that we have to go to a one world currency, one world government, uh, one world religion. And it's going to take time to do that. Uh, but the reality is, as I was talking with, with Mike even this week, and he, he made the sta- statement that I thought was absolutely correct. We're there. I mean, the other thing that's amazing to me that I don't know anything about, but have you heard of Bitcoin? These are just crypto economy that's out there that someone someone has said this is valuable. Invest in it. And people invest it. In, and, and why? Because someone has said to do it. I mean, tomorrow someone could say it's not valuable, and what happens then? I don't know. But there's no, there's there's nothing. So our currency is fluid, and if we wanted to uh, at any moment, you know, could change I mean... Although on the positive side, I, I think all you have to do is hit the delete button to get away with, tw- to remove $26 trillion of debt, right? Isn't that all you need to, need to do? So, I don't know. So, anyways, any questions on any of that? Kathy? Okay. So if that's already in the works and then at the airports they have to clear the eye scanners to, you know, go past the waiting line. Right. Yeah. I mean there's quantum dot tattooing where they can put information into the tattoo that you can't see under the light under special. Right. Sure. So those that are watching online, uh, Kathy sharing with us so that uh, already on the West Coast you can just wave your palm uh, over Amazon.com uh, and, and buy things, or in the Kroger's to tattoos that are already have information in them uh, that you can scan. So it's already here. Eye scanning. The other thing that Kathy that that you bring up too that I haven't mentioned that you might just want to jot down uh, on your notes and look at yourself. But our president is talking a lot about it: artificial intelligence intelligence. China already has it, if you didn't know this or not, but uh, China has so many circuit cameras up that they watch their people and have faith re- face recognition stuff that they get actual credits for being a good citizen. So they might get a better interest rate on, on a loan because they're what is c- considered a good citizen, one who follows the government rules and stuff like that better. And, and, and it's all done by arti- artificial intelligence and, and that going. So we see our technology just going crazy, and and really based upon our technology, based upon our technology, we see that we are as close to the end as we've ever been before because of our technology there, okay? One other thing here with our technology on page number 16, number four, I'm not going to go into a lot of this. This you can read. There are websites here for you. But I want you to understand that what is going on here is engineering humans. That's number four. Engineering humans. Our scientific community in the U.S. and around the world already have the ability to modify the human genome. Meaning that they can modify and change our DNA if they want to. Um, They... uh, they can engineer, they can, through molecular, uh, excuse me, molecular engineering techniques called gene editing, they can do this. Scientists have the ability to modify genes in the DNA of humans and animals, and they've been doing it since the beginning of, the, uh, of the, this century. There's a tool, a third paragraph there, if you want to highlight or circle, it's not really a word, it's an acronym, I'm not going to give you the acronym, but it's called CRISPR. C-R-I-S-P-R. This tool... This tool allows them to dissect the unwanted, the unwanted genes from the DNA and allows the scientist or doctor to replace the unwanted genes with wanted genes so they can go in and, and take away. Um, in 2018, and this, this gentleman went to jail because of this, he announced that he had edited the genes of two twin girls, or obviously twin girls, prior to birth, in order to make them more resistant to HIV. Which is, you know, you think, well, resistant to HIV, that's fine. But he broke all of the ethical laws and the moral laws that they had in order to do this. They, they weren't ready for this. Um, and so... He he did this and he went to jail for it, I think, for a few years because the response in the scientific community was this was completely unethical for him to do that. However, it's becoming more and more accepted. Uh, in 2020, the Oregon Health and Science University of Oregon raved as they performed their first ever CRISPR gene editing within the human body. And they used this tool to address um, Blindness causing gene mutation in a patient. So they gave a man back his sight, which you say, that's good. That's great. But they're manipulating genes, all right? They're manipulating DNA. And this all sounds good, but the very dark side uh, of this is man is playing God. That's what it is. Man, the created, trying to be the creator. As this technology expands, And is more commonly used, there are many that fear, and it will happen, uh, that this will be used to make designer babies. That's what they want to do. They want to edit uh, the, the zygote there, the, the, the baby in the womb, uh, and what they can do with this gene editing, parents would be able to determine the sex, the height, the hair, the color, much more of their baby. If you want to make sure that your baby is a boy or a girl, uh, make sure that they have blonde hair, blue eyes, make sure that three, uh, that they're athletic, build, all of that kind of stuff. They can go in and they can do that with these tools. So I'm sorry. The um, was there a blank underneath number four there? Okay. Gene editing is the word there. Gene editing. G E N E Gene editing. Sorry about that. The next is, uh, next blank on your page is cloning. I don't need to say much about that, but you might have heard of the sheep named Dolly in 1996 that was cloned. I have uh, the website for you, but I want you to know that Chinese scientists have recently cloned 30 human embryos they've cloned 30 human embryos just recently so cloning is taking place and is happening the next is hybrids the next blank there's hybrids They have for years, since 2011 uh, and even before that, been creating human-animal hybrids, uh, splitting the genes, the DNA of humans and animals and creating things there. As a matter of fact, in 2011, British scientists secretly created more than 150 human-animal hybrids. And you have the website there on that. Just a month ago, just, I put this month uh, on the top of page 17. You might want to just jot down April 2021. Because when I was working on this, it was last month. Okay. Just this month, <laughs> U.S. and Chinese scientists have created a human animal hybrid between a human and a monkey for the first time in history, putting them together uh, as well. And then the next blank uh, there. Um, this is where my real sci-fi bug comes out. Um, transhuman. The next, the next blank. Transhuman. T-R-A-N-S-H-U-M-A-N. This is this is right out of the pages of science fiction. As a matter of fact, this is exactly how. Uh, how if you've seen uh, Captain America? All right. This is the process that they they do in that when they put him in that coffin thing there, and he's a little scrawny guy, and he comes out. scientists are making attempts to genetically modify humans and create a new super race for a variety of purposes Jimmy Evans writes this in his book The Tipping Point he says although information is tightly guarded some news outlets have reported that the U.S. government is involved in some of this research particularly to bolster the physical capabilities of the U.S. fighting forces Uh, I heard heard from Defense Secretary Church Hagel say in a public address, Russia and China together are doing this also. And right now it's an arms race between us and China and Russia to see who can develop this first. Now, uh, again, this is kind of out there, don't know, but if they can splice our genes and make hybrid animals, uh, you know they're working Towards this, they're wanting to make our soldiers better, stronger, all this kind of stuff. And so, my mind just r- runs rampant with all the sci-fi stuff that is there. Why is this important, or what is important about this? It is again from Genesis chapter number one. All the way through When Adam and Eve, sin, Adam and Eve wanted to uh, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so that they would know good and evil and be like God, right? And man has tried all the way through to become like God. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel, right? And God looks at, the, looks at them as they're trying to create this huge tower to make themselves uh, as important as God, uh, and he confused their languages. Again, all of this shows man's depravity and wanting to be God, and it's moving forward and forward and forward, or faster and faster and faster. Even our science is... Uh, Showing that as well. So the idea is, the thought is, is where our morality is. What, what, you know? So the, the five main, main things here, and we've got one more to finish up real quick here. But we see Israel coming into place. We see uh, truth falling to the wayside. We see our morality being uh, tanked. We see our technology trying to make us God's uh, and taking over God's role. Who needs God anymore? Let's just replace Him with what we can do. Uh, and then the last one there I'll speak on really quick is time. Time And this one's really basic. Time is forever on the move. And we need to understand that God never operates arbitrarily. It is very important that we are able to discern the times we are in. If we don't, we will be susceptible to fear, confusion, and poor uh, preparation. Here's the thing, church, and this is what we need to know. The reason why I wanted to give you these signs was not to scare you or to upset you or to frustrate you with what's happening in this world. The reason why I want you to know this is to let you know that God is in control. Nothing is happening in all of this apart from what God has said was already going to happen. We already see this happening because Scripture tells us. This is why, uh, as we've already read, that that we don't need to know that the return of the Lord is is coming as a thief in the night because we see the signs and we know He is coming. God is in complete control. From the very beginning, before God spoke the universe into existence, God had a timetable already in place. The prophet Isaiah spoke of this very thing in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. We're not going to read it for time. The Apostle Peter told us uh, of the timetable as well in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9. And in that passage, he talks about people scoffing and laughing and making fun because when is the return of the Lord ever going to take place? When's it going to happen? It hasn't happened yet and things are going on. Listen, as we look at these times, as we see these things progress, and as time goes on and we see them progress more and more and more, what are we supposed to do, church? Look up. Look up. Because Jesus is coming. Our redemption is coming. We don't know the timetable. We don't know God's plan. But there is one. God is in control. None of this stuff is happening and God's sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs or rubbing his hands going, oh my goodness, it's just getting worse and worse. What am I supposed to do? Okay? He's looking down at us going, it's right on schedule. It's right on time. Everything's happening. Look at them. They think they're so smart. They think they've got it under control. (laughs) They think they're going to be me. Look at them. Look at them. But no. I know what's going on. I've got it. God created time with a time limit and he knows what it's going to be and where it's going to do. So don't worry. Don't fret. Don't stress. Have comfort. Why do we need to look at the signs of the times so that when we look at them and we recognize what they are, how bad they are, we also recognize That God knows this before we ever knew it was going to happen. That God is walking with us in the midst of this. He has not left us nor forsaken us. He is walking with us. He's taking us through. And we are going to make it to the end. We're going to make it through. It's going to happen. We are going to see the end uh, come, we, either of our life when we die and we're in heaven with God or at the end of time completely when Jesus returns and we go through all the rest of it. The biggest thing I want you to see from this is that every generation of, our, of, of this world, every generation has seen some of this. But church, we are the generation that's seeing all of this. It's all happening in our timeline. It's all happening greater than it ever has in time before. And God can tarry. It's, God can wait. He, he is long-suffering. He has His timetable. But I'm just telling you right now that there's never been a time in our history where the time has been more ripe for the return of the Lord. It's never been. okay. And so, what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we sit back and we do nothing and we, and we just wait for Jesus to come? Of course not. As we know, what we need to do is we need to be watching, we need to be ready, we need to be about the kingdom work, we need to be lifting each other up, helping each other, walking with each other, encouraging each other uh, as we walk through this life, standing up for what is right, doing what is right, not not, not backing down, and be looking for the return of our Lord and Savior. And so, all of this leads us up to now, the next event is the rapture of the church where the Lord comes back. And next week, we are going to, make sure you have your Bibles with you, be in the book of Revelation, and we're going to look at what Revelation is about because Revelation now is all about the tribulation period. Okay, So we haven't even got to the tribulation period yet. And you think this is working, wait till we get there. So it'll be good. All right, our time went long tonight. Thank you for your patience. I'm sorry I didn't take many questions. I wanted to get through this. Some of you probably go, Will ever shut up, I don't, you know, so. But, real quick, if you have a short one, and with the context of the things we talked about, is there any question you may have? Anything that you uh, need to clarify or anything along those lines? Man, you guys are scholars, you got it down, that's awesome, that's great. All right, let's pray. Father God, you're so good to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you're a God that's in complete control. Lord, let this not scare us. Let us not have fear in these times. Because you're not the author of fear, Lord. You're the author author of power. And and Lord, uh, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And so, Lord, now we walk out of here knowing what is happening and what's going on, having confidence that you're in control of this, help us, Lord, to live right for you. Help us to live the way that we're supposed to. Help us not to get caught in the snares and the lies of the devil because what Satan wants to do in us is to tear us down and to destroy us. He knows that if we're saved, he can't have our soul, but he can destroy our lives. And Lord, let us not fall for the lies of the enemy, the traps of the enemy, Lord, I pray. And use us. And Lord Jesus, we pray, come quickly, in Jesus' name, amen.